Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome back to The Hurt by the Female Pain Docs, Season 2. On today's episode, we have a very special guest and esteemed physician who we are very excited to interview. Dr. Anjana Kundu is a quadruple board certified physician with board certifications in anesthesiology, pain medicine, pediatric anesthesiology, and integrative medicine. Her impressive work in the field includes being a founding member and also serving as president of the Society of Pediatric Pain Medicine. She's the founder of Proactive Pain Solutions, an online education and consultation company with a mission to improve access to high quality, cost-effective, and expert pediatric pain care solutions through partnership and with empowerment of those most important in the process. She is also a fellow podcaster whose podcast, Pedia Pain Focus, has actually had over 12,000 downloads. So as you can see, Dr. Kundu has an illustrious career and we are honored to have her join us today. So let's get to it. Hello, Dr. Kundu. Thank you so much for joining us today. Many of our listeners are also parents, so this episode will also be a special one for them to have an esteemed physician share their expertise. So let's start with the sense of how you, as a physician, wanted to pursue pediatrics. What drew you to the fields of pediatric anesthesiology and then ultimately pain and integrative medicine? Dr. Patel, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I am, thank you for all your kind words. And I'm so honored that you, who yourself is so, such an amazing, impactful physician at such a young part of their career, I'm honored that you would consider chatting with me. And it's, it's a pleasure to talk to your audience and be able to share what I, um, what I so pride in and enjoy doing. Thank you. So in terms of what drew me to anesthesiology and peds anesthesiology in, in um, particular is, you know, I, going into anesthesia was totally a, it, it doesn't sound very, very magical, but it was calculated a mathematical equation, if you will, in, in the sense that I, um, as you can tell by all my board certifications and everything, I'm quite multi-passionate. So I enjoy a lot of things. Medicine, I knew I really love from a pretty young age. I enjoyed that. So choosing a field of specialty was definitely something that I had to work on because I loved medicine. I loved the ability to diagnose and to figure out what to do. But I also enjoyed a lot of hands-on stuff. So I wanted something. I wanted a field that would allow me 
to use a lot of some of the interventional skills, some of, like, but I didn't want to be a surgeon. So I had to figure out what would allow me to use all these passions I have with the understanding of physiology and pharmacology and diagnosing and that, that art of medicine and still be able to create a little bit more immediate impact, which we can in anesthesiology, you take an action and you can see the results. Why pediatrics? Honestly, for the longest time throughout my medical school, I wanted to do pediatrics. Again, pediatric medicine, but then that wouldn't have allowed me to do some of these other things that I wanted to do. So this was a way for me to combine all of those passionates and bring my skills. I love working with kids. I cannot, I can't curb my enthusiasm at seeing kids and being able to interact and engage because they're, they bring such amazing energy to you, to the entire interaction, despite them being in certain, some of their most vulnerable times. So that's how I ended up doing with pediatric anesthesia and pain management, again, kind of brings me back to that medical and medicine um, piece of it, like being able to diagnose and to get to the bottom of things and to be able to, to come up with um, with solutions and work with patients and families in partnerships. To me, you create magic when you work in partnership with the others rather than me being able to deliver things. You're absolutely right. I, I do see that you're very multifaceted, multi-talented, and you've also integrated many wonderful aspects about the field of anesthesiology into one. And how did that path kind of lead you to integrative medicine as well? Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, I, I was born and grew up in India, actually, did my medical schooling from there. So in India, as you know, culturally, at least, I know you grew up here, but culturally, you know that Ayurveda is a big part of life, basically. It's, you know, by definition, it is the science of life. And so growing up, um, I grew up in a very rural place where, you know, uh, there was not even education opportunities beyond fifth grade, especially for females. So growing up in rural field where you turn to more of the traditional and sort of like day-to-day -day healing remedies. So I grew up with that. Like, you know, you had a cold, your mom would give you a ginger tea or some sort of a concoction of ginger cloves and, you know, what have you, right? And you hurt yourself and there'll be a, a turmeric poultice and things like that. And so that's what you grew up with. And sometimes when you see a lot of that, you just sort of turn away from it, like, and especially if you don't understand. So to me, it seemed like medicine seem like this amazing scientific world and this was just whatever like just people did because that's all they had kind of uh, you know when you're young you don't understand sort of like the 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 thousands of years of traditions and the reason they evolved that way so my drive to go to medical school was to prove that these things were just being done willy-nilly and I wanted to find real answers. I mean, I saw that some of them sometimes they worked and, you know, they worked really well. So I wanted to know why they were working. So, so this kind of went this full circle. I wanted to disprove them. And I'm a little bit of a skeptic by nature. So everything I take on, I take with that, like, I'm sure there's a different perspective to this. And I'm sure this is not all true. So with that in mind, I went to med school and found myself asking more questions, 
after having been there uh, than like having the answers to. So I found that even science, quote unquote, science that we were studying in Western medicine didn't have all the answers, especially for chronic illnesses, especially for people's like, you know, their quality of life. And, you know, it, it was, we were treating and putting bandages and it, doing immediate sort of treatment, which is really, really important in those situations. But I saw that there were ways that you can prevent them. And that's how I went this route, because especially once I got involved in pain management, in my interest in pain management, I figured there has to be like more than just what we're treating in the moment. We have to be able to prevent it. We have to be able to improve the quality of life and, and give people things that they can do, they can learn. And so that's how I ended up doing integrative medicine. I find that so fascinating. I really enjoyed hearing about that because I'm also of Indian origin and you're absolutely right. Growing up, we were given these turmeric or cumin or clove sort of concoctions, and we didn't really believe in them. And now I feel like we've actually come full circle in even the field of science, where we're looking at things like curcumin and turmeric and ginger and recognizing that they do have a place in medicine, potentially, um, even vitamin C and all the vitamins in general. So I really do appreciate that sort of full circle that we're coming around. And I find it I find it amazing that you were able to, to, um, to integrate all of that into the field of pediatric pain, especially because as we know, it's just not as well recognized as adult pain medicine. So I, I, I really appreciate you doing that. Could you also tell us, may I, may I just, I'm sorry to interrupt. Just, I just wanted to add one more thing just for the audience. Absolutely. You know, integrative medicine is so much more than just like what we give. So it's not just about the curcumins and the, these things that we, we give or we take, or we apply. It's actually also integrative medicine is also about the way of life. What do we understand about how we conduct ourselves, what we eat, what we take and put inside our bodies, how we rest and recuperate. And it's so much more than, so it's actually getting in touch with your body's inner workings. And sometimes it also takes adding these elements like turmeric and cumin. But a lot of times it's also just understanding and being in touch and being able to maximize what we already have. So that's the other piece that I have come to understand, even though initially my drive was to understand how do, you, do these things work that we take. But so I just wanted to add that. And I'm very happy you did because that was going to be my follow-up question. Outside of just like supplements and diet and nutrition, there are so many different aspects of integrative medicine. And I understand um, that includes acupuncture, meditation, other forms of sort of exercise. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and how they may also play a role for patients as well as pediatric patients in general? Absolutely. Um... So in, in, first of all, like I said, what we have is incredible. Our bodies are magical. They're amazing. They have amazing powers of healing. And this especially so much more highlighted in children, because we know from science, we know there's a lot of neuroplasticity, right? So they're growing. So their growth cycle is so much more um, active. So whether it's their neurons, whether it's their thinking, whether it's their, you know, physical abilities, their everything is in growth phase. And it's so much more plastic. And by plastic, I don't mean, you know, that 
tough plastic containers that we have. Neuroplasticity and plasticity in general in medicine just means more like putty, like it's moldable. It's you can shape it the way you want. So basically, we know our bodies have these innate healing abilities to be able to maximize that what we need. So if you think of, um, I'm a gardener too. So I use a lot of gardening and also cooking analogies. So pardon me if you hear a lot of that. But in terms of gardening, what do we do? Like we have to take in to grow a plant to see a flower or a, a fruit or a a, you know, vegetable, whatever it is, you need to take into consideration all sorts of things, right? You need to take the soil, the water, the, you know, uh, fertilizer and sun, air, rain, all of those things come into play. So you have to consider first of all, what you're trying to grow, we have to figure out is the, are the conditions you know, amenable to growth of that. And so that's what it is for our bodies too. Where we are to nurture anything, you have to optimize what's around them, right? So be able to, what, what you put in your bodies makes a huge difference. How you, how you put in your bodies. So, you know, we, we've gotten into this really fast paced life where everything is fast and, you know, there's nothing wrong with fast pace, but as long as you're not compromising some of the things that do, you do need to take little moments to, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to sit down for a meal for two hours, like we did in Victorian times and right. But you can just, even if you took 10 minutes and you just focused on what you were eating, just take a breath. Even if you're not focusing on what you're eating, at least just sort of taking a break from whatever it is that you were doing earlier or whatever you're about to jump into. So little moments. So it's doing two things. A, it's allowing the nutrition to come into you. B, it's actually relieving your thoughts and it's actually rejuvenating you. So things like that are so simple and so easy to do. Things like movement. You know, we have gotten into this really sedentary lifestyle because Look at us. We're here talking across the computers, right? In uh, you know uh, previous times, we didn't have these luxuries. Yes, they come with efficiencies, but they also come with with drawbacks. So they make us sit in one place for long periods of time. It is important to be able to create movement. So if you're on your way to wherever you're going, take a few extra steps, right? If you have stairs, take stairs instead of the elevator. So things like that. Sleep, because nothing is going to grow without rest. It, your growth happens when you're resting. Your repair happens when you're resting. So making sure we're getting optimal amount of sleep, we're using the right kind of nutrition, right kind of nutrition isn't about how many carbs, how much fats or whatever, it's more about balance, what's available, what's accessible, and what how you, what you make with it. So those are the kinds of things that we have to take into. So those are things that are in our power. And then as our power as an as any human being, and then you have 
experts that can help you guide. There are other things. Once they've gone beyond what you can do to repair, then you can bring in things like acupuncture, massage, physical therapy, which can guide you to do more safer, um, uh, safer avenues for exercising or activity or movement, a sleep specialist who can help you restore uh, some of those deranged sleep um, patterns and things like that. So I think it, it, it has to be a combination what you do yourself, plus the people that you're asking for help with. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think you touched upon some very important concept of some very important concepts of in general multimodal and sort of a comprehensive treatment of pain, including for pediatric patients. And there's something that I think both of us have talked about in the past, which, you know, I really do believe by, but the biopsychosocial model of pain, how does that apply um, to children? What are some nuances that parents should also know about? Absolutely. So what we, what I started talking about how neuroplastic they are. So the thing about this is like, I I gave you all these things about what we can do to shape them so they grow appropriately. What happens is if you don't do that, then unattended pain, unattended um, derangements in your normal physiology will lead to multiplication of that that derangement, basically that uh, deviation from normal. So with children, how that applies is they're still growing. They're still taking in things. They are like sponges, right? So we talk about pain as a biopsychosocial model in the sense it has biology, it has psychology, it has social aspects of it, all playing into the ultimate experience of pain. So what we feel pain is more than just what hurts us physically. It is also, it it comes from, it's a sum total of what injury happened, whether it's recognized or not, whether you can actually see it with tests with your eyes or anything or not, but whatever injury that has happened to your body, plus, what our brain, our psychology, our feelings, our worries, our thoughts make of it, plus what are our beliefs around them, right? So where are these children getting these? They don't, we, none of us is born with all these things. This is what we see around us. This is what we learn from the experiences. So as parents, we can shape how they process pain. Pain is, you know, some cultures believe it's a pass, rite of passage, or some people feel like it's a badge of honors that you have to go through pain to be strong or to be a certain personality. None of those are necessarily true because what it is, is it is really a, it's part of our life you know, as we say, pain is inevitable. So if we live long enough, we're going to have cuts, bruises, bumps, surgeries, whatever. But what is made out of that information and how you respond to that is going to determine the impact that it's going to leave on you. And for children, that becomes even more important because all they see is what is happening around them in their families, in their social circles. So we as parents have huge impact on what 
they derive and how they respond to that. If they think of that as this is something I have control over, I can do, I can take charge of, that's what they're going to do. They're going to know that's, oh, maybe I can't avoid getting hurt. But what I can avoid is keeping it from making my life difficult, even more than it has to be or more limited than it has to be. So what I can do is find ways to remain active, to define a new normal for, for me. And, you know, kids need a lot of help with that. And that's where parents and schools and their social structures and friends and peers come into play. And so that's where you have to take all those elements, not just the biology that the doctor is going to help you with or physical therapist is going to help you with, but what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to it when you are hearing your child say they're in pain? How can you redirect them to focus on something positive, something that they can do rather than things that they are limited by? That's a great way to look at it and how for pediatric pain, at least parents can play a very big role in terms of how the children interpret pain, they react to it, and how it ultimately sort of progresses. So it really, the parents do play a major role. How do you um, sort of come across, uh, communicate to patients essentially, or parents, uh, when they're skeptical of some of the suggestions you may have, especially when it comes to, for example, sleep hygiene or nutrition or um, acupuncture even, or meditation, how do you respond to the skepticism associated with that, at least sometimes in conventional medicine? That's such a great question. And it is a million, a billion dollar question, <laughs> really, because this is one of the biggest roadblocks that we have. And the reason it becomes a roadblock is when we sort of single-handedly try to own the responsibility of something, be it a parent or be it the physician. So since you asked from the perspective of physician, how do you come across, how do you convey that? The way I do that is, first of all, I, I recognize that the, the biggest impact anything like pain has or any chronic illness has is on the life of the child and the family. So understanding what kind of impacts it has on them and then understanding their values, their goals, not just understanding, asking, I outrightly ask, what is your goal? And I ask the child and I ask the parent. And then it gives me that ability as an expert to be able to bring the expertise that I have, the scientific expertise, integrative expertise, plus the goals that the patients and families have. And then it's, it's basically a, um, an art or a game of reconciling those two. How can I, what I do and I find most helpful is being able to relate to what their goals, their desires, their fears, their uh, challenges, or what they feel as roadblocks are to where they need to be. So it's all, it's important to acknowledge and validate what they want, what they need. It's not always congruent or aligned with what we as physicians want and know because we, that's the expertise we've gained over years and decades of, uh, of our training that, so it, it's always in the art of 
basically closing that gap of what we know works to where they want to be. And if you really look closely, they're not that different. We both want them to be better, but we also know things that really work are the ones that people are gonna take ownership at because with you and me, they're gonna be there for half an hour, an hour, two hours at most, a little intermittently. What they're gonna do is live that life 98 to 100% of times by themselves. So giving them things that, first of all, knowledge, give them the understanding of what they're dealing with and showing them where they can be and then showing them how they can be, it becomes a little bit easier. So if you acknowledge, understand what they want, you also show what you want to do is also aligned with what they want and then, then show them the way. That's really how I uh, try to. So basically it comes down to listening and understanding. You put it in such a, such a good way. You're absolutely right. A lot of being a physician is being good at communication and being empathetic. And I think you very much touched on that, just to listen, to understand, and to, to know what their own expectations are so we can help build on that. So I really, I really do like that. Right. And give them things that they can do. So because one of the biggest things that pain does to a child, to their entire family, is disempower them. It, it robs them of the ability to feel like they're in control. They feel like pain is controlling their life. So to be able to give them the smallest little things, to be able to give them ways to see how those small things are actually taking them a tiny step forward. Those are the winning moments. So being able to, it's not about what I, the pill that I'm going to give or the procedure I'm going to do. It's how I can show them and make them feel that they are they're actually part of that and they can determine and influence how the progress is going to be and what they can do that 98% of the times that they're not with me. You're absolutely right. I completely agree with that. And do you think being a parent has changed the way you saw pediatric pain or the way you modified your practice potentially even? 1000%, I would say, being a parent has made this difference for sure. I didn't know. So interestingly enough, you don't know what you don't know until you actually open up to what you want to know, right? So before I was a parent, I thought I was a pretty good doctor even then. And but it, it opens your mind to so many different things, because you see your child, um, for example, like you'll hear them say something that you're so surprised by, right? Because they've seen or observed or they are worried about things that you wouldn't have thought about otherwise. So these are the things that if you're paying attention to your own in your own life makes you understand like the people that are, you know, that you're interacting with are the same. They're just the same as you are. So their children are responding the same way. They're experiencing the same things. So why not capitalize on those things that we're living every day, every moment? And so I absolutely feel like, I don't think it was a conscious decision. I don't even know when it happened, but it did. And I absolutely know that that is what makes all the difference. And um, if you'll indulge me for a moment, it's like, you know, doing pain and palliative care. 
it becomes even more important because sometimes what they want is the smallest little things. One of the parents for uh, my oncology kid, a teenager who all she wanted to do was go to a prom. She had this widely metastatic neuroblastoma and um, basically prom was her biggest thing. She just wanted to do that, but her Mets had been so bad that she was so much, she was in so much pain. She was admitted to the hospital. The only two states we had with her when she first came in was completely sedated or completely screaming in pain. So talking to the mom, realizing all she wanted was, you know, to see her child have her one wish right? To go to prom. And so we work with it. We ended up, you know, we talked about doing some invasive stuff. So I ended up doing actually chemo ablation of some of the nerves that did give her, um, her relief. And she was able to go to prom. She did, she only lived another three months, but the fact is she brought the next time I saw them, they, she had beautiful pictures of her in her pink gown and little things like that. So for the parent, that, that pain of seeing their child suffering was taken away. That's a small gain but it was huge difference. Their child smiling and they, what it left this parent with was these lifetime memories, even when they're, you know, even though their child wasn't there, but at least what they could look upon was these positive things. And that's what we live for. It was, it's the small moments. And we as physicians are in unique position to help with realizing some of those small wins that they can hold on to for life. That's beautiful. I'm very happy that you shared that, that anecdote. And it also kind of, especially for pediatric pain, reminds us that you're not just touching the life of a patient, a pediatric patient, but also their parents and their family, because it really can be, a, can take an emotional toll on everybody. So it's really a beautiful thing that you're doing uh, in terms of pediatric pain. And then you were, you're one of if not the only person that I know is quadruple board certified with such a, you know, such a unique niche, what, what sort of foresight led you to going down this route in terms of when did you notice that there was a lack of something in that area? And then that was when you wanted to make this your mission and you've done so much with your mission by creating awareness for such a needed topic. But when did you first realize that we really do need to start thinking and talking more importantly about this? Well, thank you for asking that, Alopi, because, and I wish I had like this amazing answer that I could give you like, oh yes, I already knew. And this was always, that's not, that's not me. And, <laughs> you know, like I said, my choice of specialty to train in was more of a calculation, sort of like a logical progression of what makes sense. And I think that I logically arrived at this. How I ended up becoming a pediatric pain physician was during my um, anesthesia residency, which I had to repeat here. I had done my anesthesia residency in India. And then, you know, like most uh, international medical graduates, you come and do your residency again. So when I was doing my residency, because I'd already done it, I had the unique fortune to be able to work at a children's hospital for like an entire year out of my four-year residency. So I basically did a pediatric anesthesia fellowship without really being called as a fellow, just because 
you know, I had the skills in general anesthesia. I was able to just create a year of rotation there. And while I was doing P's anesthesia, one of the things that happened was the, what led me to doing Pete's pain in the first place was this child, three-year-old with a Wilms tumor, a massive Wilms tumor that I took care of. And I had done a epidural for her, for her surgery. And she was three years old, this seven hour mega dissection, you know, messy surgery, you know, you're an anesthesiologist, you know, we do these, you know, marathon surgeries and with like, mega physiological changes and things like that. So anyway, after this tremendous monumental surgery, this kid wakes up and she opens it. Like we wake her up and she wakes up on the table and just looks as if she's like, like nothing happened. She looks, she gives you this biggest smile. How are you doing? And she says, good. A three-year-old smiles after a seven-hour surgery. And to me, that was the defining moment. That's what I wanted to see in my life. And that's what I wanted to see more of. You know, you can lead somebody to that. And so with that's when I decided I'll do pediatric pain. And so I didn't know at that time that this is not recognized or this is recognized. Then I started looking into where I can do more in learning about pain. And there was only one fellowship in Boston Children's. That was about two decades ago. Anyhow, I learned that. And then of course, you know, while I was there, I learned that there are a lot of people that were wanting to at least explore the idea of pediatric pain, a lot of institutions. It was, and unfortunately, it has. It was back in in um, early two thousands, and it has still remained the same thing. A lot, and even a lot more institutions, even today, are looking for that. And I feel like there's just huge gap. At that time, there were, you know, there was one one fellowship training. Now there are three. They're accredited, but. I also did a presentation around that time and the incidence of pediatric pain that at that time was reported around 12 to 18% chronic pain. And now when I do presentations, it's one in three school-age children. I mean, that's one third of the children that are school-aged and I, and that's chronic pain. We're not even talking about the acute pain. So I see that we have only gone from one training program to three or four training programs. And whereas the incidence and prevalence of pain has, whether it's grown or we become more aware, regardless, the fact is that that's how prevalent it is and we need to address it more effectively. And that's when I started to look at how can I make an impact? I would constantly be recruited because there are not enough people trained and experienced, let alone experienced for decades. So I thought I need to, to make this, you know, a more widely available skill because pain affects every aspect in every area of healthcare. And when it's children, I also know because they're so plastic, if you mold them accordingly, you can, you can just prevent the long, uh, long-term effects. About more than 50% of the adult pain we have realized uh, with studies have shown that has its roots or its beginnings in childhood, whether it's adolescence or early childhood. So to be able to 
intervene there in childhood can make a tremendous difference in the entire lifespan of, of a person, right? So we can minimize the amount of you know, societal burden, personal burden, physical um, harm that comes from adult pain. So that's, I really just wanted to be able to make sure that we get that, that addressing pediatric pain is that very important. And that's a very important sort of point for parents to know in general. And oftentimes surgeries and different treatments for pediatric pain are much necessary. Is there a concern for emotional trauma in this, in this pain sort of population? And how do you as a pain physician, as well as an anesthesiologist help reduce this? What a great question, because and there is, right? We're talking about pain being a biopsychosocial phenomenon, right? So it's not just what happens to pain because of our biopsychosocial factors, but what does pain do to a person's biology and psychology and their social impact is really equally, if not more important. So yes, there is, so to speak, trauma, as you said, because we the impact that pain leaves goes beyond skin deep or beyond just the physical suffering. And what it does is it impairs the person's ability to regulate their, their emotions. You know, we have the pain triggered anxiety, right? We have pain triggered depression. We, you know, we have this bi-directional relationship with, with mood disorders, like whether it's depression, anxiety, or even, uh, you know, PTSD can be triggered just by pain or uncontrolled pain as well. And then how they manage their pain will also depend on how, what their experience, however small it might have been in the past. So, and then of course it impairs their, their social relationships even, right? And we all know that when we're hurting, we're, we're frustrated, we get angry, we are short-tempered. So it not only like, creates a different emotional state, but it also impairs your relationships and how you conduct yourself and how you process other information from around it. So yes, it creates trauma in every sense of the word that way. And as I said, it also has been shown to say, to, to have relationship to PTSD. So it's, it goes both ways. So what do we do then to minimize it when we know it has such a big impact is basically, you know, address this head on and early on, right? This doesn't mean that we wanna raise wallflowers. We just wanna give them the right context. We want them to understand what this means. We want them to understand what they can do and how they can influence the course and the outcomes of this. So for doing, you know, surgeries are necessary. They're good sometimes even to treat pain, right? We do painful things to treat pain sometimes, but <clears throat> how we how we go about that is what's really important. So what I do is that the question like what or what physicians do or what parents do. So help me. What we as physicians can do to help sort of right. reduce that emotional aspect of it. One, number one thing that most, I'm sure in adults as well as for sure in pediatrics we encounter is this fear that they're not believed, that their pain is not believed, right? So unlike 
um, cancer, unlike a broken bone, unlike a surgery, like a visible injury of some kind, pain is one of those invisible disabilities and invisible traumas, right? So the as it is, it is, you know, there's no look of pain. People say like, oh, they're faking it. You don't know they're faking it, right? The pain is what the person is feeling. Whether you can see the evidence for this or not, or trauma for it, that's only one aspect of the pain. So belief is the biggest thing. Making them feel believed, making them feel validated is the number one thing any healthcare professional can do. Number two, giving them information about what that pain means, what, what, what can they expect and what can they do, right? Be realistic. And obviously, especially in cases of children, you don't want to scare them. You don't want to scare the parents either, right? No, not the parents, not the children. You want to give information in a way that it actually becomes a powerful tool. So I always say knowledge is power. And I say action is superpower, right? So what knowledge you give, you want that to be a strength for them, right? So it needs to help inform their actions, which is going to be their superpower. So we know children take cues from parents, making sure that they know the impact of anxiety, impact of their mood, impact of sleep, impact of, you know, repositioning, comfort measures, talking, talking about pain, creating memories around pain. So there's a lot of literature that shows that these things make a difference. How you present the information helps them create memories and narratives around pain. So that's the number two thing that you can do is create a more positive. Number three is, is helping them focus on forward movement, on positives, right? It doesn't mean negate their pain experience. Doesn't mean you say, oh no, this is no big deal. No, that doesn't mean that. It says, yes, you are going to hurt, but here's the good news. Here are things you can do. Here are things that we are going to do. This is how you're gonna know. And hey, if, you, if this doesn't work, we have other ways to treat it. So giving them that positive moment, things to look forward to, things to do about. So those are the three, I think, key things that we can do. That is amazing. So validate them, recognize you know, what they're going through, give them resources. And then the power of positivity really can play a huge role. And what a beautiful way to summarize essentially how, how physicians play an important role in this, this aspect of pediatric pain. So I really appreciate that. Um, and on that note, with that powerful message, I think we're going to uh, end this episode. And Dr. Kundu, any, any parting words? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here and doing the incredible work that you're doing. And the other thing to all the listeners, I want to say, if you're a parent, know that your and the physician's goal are same and you have to approach it with that level of trust. Sometimes our trust is kept, sometimes it is disrupted. And if that's the case, you have other options. You can look for somebody who is going to foster your trust. But remember, trust is a two-way street. You put it in them and they will foster it for you as well. For healthcare professionals, I would say the same thing to you. These people come to you at the most vulnerable times in their lives. And we are in a unique 
place to influence and to create small yet very powerful wins in their life. And the only way we're going to do is if we're listening to them, if we're validating them, and if we're working with utilizing our expertise to help them achieve their goals. So thank you again for having me here. Absolutely. It was our pleasure. And I also learned a lot and I'm very excited to have our listeners uh, have listened to this episode as well. So thank you again and see you next time. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at the female pain docs for more content. Send us an email at thefemalepaindocs at gmail if you have any topics in particular you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.